tell you, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's an honor and it's humbling to be able to share this stage and this room with literally some of my most favorite people in the world. Shameless plug for gospel communities. <laughs> you really need to be in one. I mean, just, let's just acknowledge that all of us in here, our lives could be spinning out at any moment. And it's the people that you surround yourself that will hold you together and encourage you. And I'm telling you, you need to be in one. You need to be in one. You need to be in one. To hear the stories that God has worked and is working in the lives of everybody that's been speaking has been encouraging, it's been challenging, and it's been meaningful. My hope today is, as we come close to Jesus, that that we would allow his love and his kindness to grow and radiate within us. That we would rest, just really rest in our hearts, let it rest in our hearts and allow it to transform us. That as we encounter a world that's just full of brokenness and ugliness, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of lines drawn in the sand, that as we meet Jesus, as we allow him to wash over us, that the calmness and the kindness of Christ would come forward. So there, there I was. I'm a firefighter. The old joke is you don't have to, you don't have to wait. You don't have to, to, to think if, if there's a firefighter in the room, he'll tell you if, if he's there. So <clears throat> let's just get that out of the way. So there we were in the fire truck. We're driving down 90, and we come off on the, uh, the access road. And I'm not driving that day, but I'm, I'm looking, and there's a car in front of us, and this red car pulls out in front of the car in front of us. Like, man, did you not see what was going on? So this car races around, slams on the brakes, almost causes an accident. This car is like squirrely. It runs around, slams on its brakes. And me, me and our crew, we're, we're looking and we're kind of laughing and chuckling. I'm like, Joe, honk the horn, man. Get those idiots to stop. Like, what do you, they're so dumb. They're going to cause an accident. But it was kind of funny. We were laughing. And it just kept on going on for probably a minute or so. And it was just, it was really interesting. Except when one broke off and the other one, it kind of followed our, our fire engine from the front. And for a couple minutes, it pulled up into the parking lot at our fire station. And once I saw that, just something started rising in me. It wasn't funny anymore. It was personal. And it was like, oh, man, I am going to lay into this person. Like, you are not helpful. Ah, da, 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 da. And she comes around, and she's like, why were you honking at me? He pulled out in front of me, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, I just, yeah, I just, just this inside of me, I, this, this rage started to come out, and I wanted to, I wanted to say some choice things. But, you know, 
It's so easy, it's so easy to view at a distance other people's wrongs and criticize them. But when we get emotionally involved, when we're right there in the midst of the ugliness, it's really hard to distance ourselves from the passions that we're going to that we're going to see. We tend to throw all objectivity out of the window. And this is one of those passages that is super easy to talk about from 30,000 feet, right? It's like really easy, but when we get emotionally involved and we're in the midst of the ugliness, it's really hard to practice this. So if you will, just close your eyes. Close your eyes for a second. And just breathe deep and listen to this. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Jesus, give us ears to hear your words. Give us eyes to see. We pray this in your name. Amen. So it might be helpful to kind of describe what enemy is here. Because it's too easy to look at it in a very large and general context. You know, we tend to think of enemies as entities. Um, you know, Nazi Germany was our enemy in the 40s. Uh, Russia was our enemy in the 80s. And, well, they may be now. Who knows? Um, Greenpeace is the enemy of big corporate polluters and plastic users. The dark side is the enemy of, of the Jedi. You know, the Republican is the enemy of the Democrat, and the Democrat is the enemy of the Republican. And, you know, those terrorists over there somewhere, those people, those people, that religious group, this group, it's too easy to generalize. But this passage does not generalize. Enemy in Hebrew is sene. And throughout the Old Testament, it's primarily translated as hate or hatred, and specifically personal hate and personal hatred. This is not an entity to entity hatred. This is not a country to country hatred. It's not an army to army hatred. This proverb is very deep and very personal. I'd like to introduce you to a man named Daryl Davis. Has anybody ever heard that name before? Good. Can, can you show the picture for us? Let's just sit on this for just a few seconds. Are you starting to build your own narrative around this picture? That's a whole interesting concept in itself. But Daryl Davis, it's a fascinating story of someone who allowed calmness and kindness to come forward in the midst of incredible ugliness. Daryl Davis was a black man who was born in the 60s, experienced racism for the first time at 10 years old. He's the one on the left. 
At 10 years old, he began to develop this question. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? At 10 years old, how can you hate me when you don't even know me? And it sent him on this journey to really try and understand how somebody could do that. And he was able to do this with tension, holding tension. He would build relationships with his adversaries. He would go out of his way to extend hospitality and build relationships with clansmen. He would meet with them. He would share a meal or a drink with them. He would even attend clan rallies all in an effort to understand. Not to believe, but to understand their reasoning. He says, he says this, sit down with your adversaries. Sit down with your adversaries, and you will learn something from them, and they will learn something from you. And because of his ability to hold that tension over 200 Klansmen have left the KKK. They send him their old robes and their hoods because he was able to stand there in the tension and give kindness instead of ugliness. It's a fascinating story. You should look him up. Listen to his TEDx talk. So in essence, this proverb could say, for the person who feels hatred, remember, it's very personal. It's not those people over there. Very personal. For the person who feels hatred, to the person who designs harm, to the one who is antagonistic, in a very real and practical sense, relieve their suffering. Respect for the life that is not in your camp or in your corner is one of the most Christ-like expressions that we can demonstrate. sets us apart from a world that seeks revenge and tribalism, vengeance and war, and the demise of its enemies. That is not to be us. Jesus alludes to this. We, we read it in the call of worship. Jesus alludes to this as the crown jewel of Christian maturity. In Matthew 5, 43 through 48, Luke 6, 27 through 35, it says, when you bless when you do good for your enemy, you are sons of God. In other words, you are acting like God. So I want us to remember a few things as we encounter this passage. Kindness does not retaliate with retribution. Kindness does not retaliate with retribution. I see on a regular basis, basis, pre-regular basis. My buddy Drew over here, he'll, he'll tell you, well, he's a, he's a firefighter. He didn't have to tell you. I'll tell you for him. <laughs> <clears throat> How many times on a regular basis that we see what returning hate for hate looks like? It's the destruction of humanity. The destruction of humanity lays in the wake of returning evil for evil, hate for hate. I can't tell you how many bloody faces and beaten faces I've cleaned, how many stab wounds I've taped up, 
how many bullet holes I've had to cover, and how many dead eyes I've looked into. Because of that principle of falling in to the status quo of inflicting pain because I have received pain. But before we get too high on our horse, you know, I would never do that. I would never do that. Jesus reminds us too, in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, he says, you're familiar with the commands of the ancients, do not murder. Oh, you wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But I'm telling you that anyone who's so much as angry with his brother or sister is guilty of murder. Ouch. Carelessly call your brother an idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled off to court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. We found that out last week when my buddy Larkin talked to us about the importance of our words. Awesome job. You did great. See, we tend to minimize and hide our own sin and our shortcomings, and we exaggerate the shortcomings and the sins of others. The Bible's teaching on how to treat your enemies, it's a reset button. It reminds us that our thoughts and our words of disdain and hate, they're not that far off from pulling triggers. But through the apprenticeship of Jesus, we have the ability to transform not only ourselves, but the rest of humanity as well. Jake just showed a picture of him out in the mountains in a stream. That was beautiful. I like that. Good fish. Well, I like to camp too, and we, we, or we like to travel, and sometimes water quality is not the greatest, right? So we take these things called life straws or Sawyer filters. Anybody ever use one of those. They're fantastic. You can take them into like just nasty, nasty places where, where you have just terrible, ugly, nasty, bad for you, kind of kill you kind of water, right? You take this, you filter the water, takes out all the dirt, the junk, the bacteria, the protozoa, like all the stuff that just wants to kill you, takes it out, and in return gives you fresh, clean water. Our apprenticeship to Jesus gives us that ability. We're not merely conduits of human energy. We don't give out what we take in, but we are like this life straw. We take in the ugliness, the bitterness, all the toxins and the dirt and the nastiness of this world, and we can return something pure. Just like Jesus did for us. We have to swallow our pride and our desire for self-preservation for the sake of those who vehemently disagree with us and speak goodness over them. Secondly, kindness seeks to share tables. What does it mean to do good for your enemy? Pretty practical. I mean, even, even in this Proverbs, if he's hungry, give him some food. If he's thirsty, give him some water. Very practical. Share a table. But we can all start by listening to their story without rebuttal. We can affirm their felt experiences of pain 
and we can genuinely pray for them, right? It's very difficult to hate people once you sit down with them and you hear their story. They're hungry. They're not hungry just for food. They're hungry for real sustenance. And if they're thirsty, they're not thirsty just for water. They're thirsty for life and for meaning. I think it's interesting that that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, right? I'm living water. And that's what we're to give people. Someone you know and someone I know needs to encounter a Jesus follower that is not defensive or threatened by a very different set of ideologies. And even while holding very different sets of values, we can extend an embrace of grace and humility and compassion, and we can be somebody that holds tension with a gentle hand. Thirdly, kindness works to repair brokenness. Kindness, re- kindness works to repair brokenness. In verse 22, it says, it's going to heap burning coals. I used to think as a child, like, that was some, like, weird way to, like, get back at your adversaries, right? Like, oh, stick it to them. Oh, I'm going to get you. I'm going to be kind to you. And it was just always really strange to me, but I don't know. Really strange. But, but it's not a backhanded way to show how good or right or righteous we are. That's not the way it works. The phrase, coals of fires, like we, the idea behind it is it's to create this pain and torment, but not in the sense of like shame or retaliation. The idea is that, that the, conscious of the consciousness of the person would be in agony over the goodness that he has received at his evil. The idea is redemption. The idea is that it would lead to a change of heart and mind. Our acts of kindness are not done to expose their worthlessness and their wickedness. Our kindness is not meant to shame our enemy. They're actually to bring contrition, redemption, and restoration. Let me give a little caveat here, though. Kindness does not overlook abuse or sidestep justice. I'm going to be very clear about that. Kindness does not overlook abuse or sidestep injustice. It deepens justice. Kindness is different than niceness. You don't want to be nice. Nice people are they're lame. You want to be kind. <laughs> Kindness is not afraid to confront. Nice placates, overlooks. You don't want to be a nice person. Don't be a nice person. Be a kind person. Jesus was not short on justice, but he was incredibly kind. So it does not invite you into an abusive relationship. It doesn't invite you to turn a blind eye to abuse, a misreading of, you know, turn the other cheek. It's this idea that you have no idea the effect of your kindness. 
You don't know how it's going to land. And it leaves you vulnerable. It leaves you exposed. Figuratively and literally, you might get another hit. The jury's still out on that one. I think an incredible picture of this. Um, Last January, uh, we all watched, the world all watched as Rachel Denhollander gave her victim statement to Larry Nasser, right? And I think the picture of her seeking real and absolute justice parallel to praying and extending grace to Larry Nasser is a picture of what we're talking about here. She says this, She wishes that he would experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that someday you may experience true repentance and the forgiveness of God. Does not sidestep justice. It doesn't overlook abuse. It deepens it. So all this can be kind of overwhelming, right? What am I to do? Fox, Fox News told me to be, you know, to hate those people. MSNBC told me to be angry and bitter at those people. It's probably the most damaging statement that we can use, those people. Because those people are children of God. We don't have the right to destroy. And let's just remember that we are people from another kingdom and that what we're being asked to do has already been done, right? Paul reminds us in Romans 5, 8 through 10, says, we were enemies. We were enemies of God. Yet while we were still in our ugliness, still in our sin, he reached out into our world at great cost to himself and extended us grace and kindness. It's God's kindness that draws us to redemption. Romans 2, 1 through 4 says, if you think that leaves you on high ground where you can point out, point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize somebody, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing your own misdoings and from coming down hard on you? Or did you think that because he is such a nice God, He's going to let you off the hook. Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he is not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. Or in another version, he says, it's God's kindness that has led us to repentance. I just want you to think about this. A little food for thought for the week as we, we close up. When the world gets ugly, let kindness come forward. 
when the world gets ugly, let kindness come forward. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are a kind and gracious God. You have been loving and kind to us in our bitterness, in our brokenness, in our natural humanity. You reached out and you spoke goodness over us. You called us to you through your kindness. Lord, may we be able to be men and women who can stand in tension with those that disagree with us and those we disagree with. May we we be resolute in offering grace, kindness, and understanding as we draw people to you. Let us hear your grace in our hearts first, and then let us offer it to others. In your name, amen.